all you Thrivers. On today's episode, we're going to be answering your questions. Things like, how do you help a child with ADHD complete their schoolwork? Or, how do I potty train an older child? Or, how do I help my child who's struggling with dyscalculia? And other questions just like that. Stay tuned! into that, for those of you who are joining me for the very first time, my name is Christy Richardson. I am the author and creator of MakingSenseOfMunchkin.com. As a special needs mom warrior, I help special needs parents just like you go from crazy till calm and from helpless to empowered. I don't want you to just be surviving. I want you to be thriving. Like I said, on today's episode, we're going to be tackling questions that our community members have sent us. This one's going to be a little bit more of an informal type of conversation. And I'd love for you guys to get involved. If you know someone with a special needs child that you think today's episode would help, please take a moment and tag them or share this video with them right now. Alright, let's dive in and tackle our first question. The first question is how to help my child with ADHD with their schoolwork? I get this question actually quite a bit. And from one fellow ADHDer to another, I've got a lot of insight. I think the thing that I would like to say is that the first thing is we need to understand our preconceived expectations as a parent around your child and their schoolwork. I challenge you to question that. You know, often what happens is parents think, well, this works for me, it should work for my child. And most of the time, that's not the case. Each one of us needs our own systems and our own things that help us be the most successful. Most of the time, what works for neurotypical children does not work for a child with ADHD or other special needs such as sensory processing disorder and so on and so forth. Now, in the book, I wrote a chapter and it's called Work With Them, Not Against Them. And this is a situation that perfectly illustrates that chapter. Often, kids with ADHD need to move to think. Take me for example, <laughs> I'm not a kid, but I do have to move a lot of this while I'm talking. It helps me think. It actually helps our kids focus when they're moving or fidgeting to put their brains in rhythm. So what does that mean? That means they, mean they may need to tap their feet, spin in a chair, listen to music, chew gum like a cow, or whatever else works for them. I have one mom who says that her daughter must be spinning in a chair so she can read. I know I routinely see my daughter rocking and we have 
uh, fidget bands on the bottom of a lot of our chairs and she'll be stretching and playing with those. So you need to observe your child's natural way of thinking and focusing when they're focusing on something that they enjoy first. Then take those same things and apply them to schoolwork. Next, keep in mind that children with ADHD or other struggles have weak executive functioning skills. So that means it's hard for them to plan out what needs to be done and how to get it done in a timely manner. Now these things will develop and I've done an entire thriving uh, podcast on that particular topic that you can check out and I'll put a link um, below so you can take a look if you'd like. But this is where you can come in and help them in the interim while those skills are developing, creating coping mechanisms, systems and routines that will help them. This is where we love visual aids. Um, you can use them to outline what schoolwork has to get done, when it has to get done, and break down all of their bigger tasks into micro tasks. It makes them not so overwhelming. Now, other factors that can, can affect your child's schoolwork ability when they have ADHD is what's in their environment and is it working? Is it organized and clean? Even though they not, may not be organized, having an organized space for your child will help them. Does it provide them with what they need to focus? Go back and address the first part of the question. Lastly, have they eaten and are they staying hydrated? Children need food and water to help their brains function properly. Hangry is a real thing and it's detrimental to the effects on behavior and focus. Now, oftentimes school only allows kids to have breakfast, lunch, and then they come home and they're starving. If you can, make sure that they can perhaps have a snack and um, I used to have to get a written, a written prescription from my daughter's pediatrician and psychiatrist to validate that and it was given to the nurse so that she could eat every two to two and a half hours. Um, make sure that she's getting, they're getting enough water. You know, send them with a water bottle, ask them to go to the water fountain more frequently. Um, but a small snack or something to sip on is a great way to ensure their brains are ready to go. Have they had any downtime before engaging in the activity at hand? I know it's hard because kids come home from school and we want to get homework right out of the way. Um, I would suggest sometimes that they need to take and have a snack. They need a little bit of downtime, you know, doing whatever before they start to engage. You know, we all need time to process information and rejuvenate before we can work on something. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times that and the time I'm burnt out, I just can't think. I'm agitated, I don't have the motivation to do something. So building in a lot more breaks for them or giving them the opportunity to be refreshed before you engage will help tremendously. This is especially true if you know that what is being presented for homework is going to be more challenging. Um, I also wanna ask you, to make sure that you really understand what the priority of the schoolwork is. You know, I'll, I want children to learn and it's important that they um, do various things, but when it comes down to your child's mental wellness versus their academia, I really want you to question which one of those is the priority. And that might mean going back to the school and asking them for less homework or accommodations that better work for your child. So are you working against their body's needs or with them? 
Our next question comes from a mom who's having trouble getting her child, who is now eight, potty trained. And there's a couple of things that come to mind immediately when I hear this. The first one is, has your daughter been checked or your son? I'm sorry, she didn't specify the uh, sex of the child. Have they been tested for a primal reflex called spinal gallant? Our bodies have these natural primal reflexes that we're born with. And what is supposed to happen is that by certain ages, and it's usually by age two, almost all of the primal reflexes that we are born with are integrated into our bodies. When that doesn't happen, then we get significant delays. And this happens to be one that's associated with spinal gallant. So I would recommend that you test for that. And actually there's a fantastic website that um, we have used extensively to do primal reflex work with my daughter and seen dramatic improvements on various things um, called Integrated Learning Strategies. And I'll put the link below and I'm gonna put a link to this particular topic that they talk about um, so that you can reference that. The second thing that comes to mind is what sensory issues um, is your child having? There are times when kids don't like the way it feels to go to the bathroom. And there are techniques that you can use to help them become more comfortable with those things. You know, are they having uncomfortable bowel movements, which is a digestive issue, which is easy to, to work on? Um, do they not like the feeling of being wet or they like the feeling of being wet? Do they not like the feeling of bowel movements and so on and so forth? Um, and a couple of those techniques can be, you know, working our way to the, to using the toilet by, you know, first going into the bathroom specifically. They don't have to be on the toilet, but they just can be in the bathroom and then they go potty even in their diaper or, or their pull-ups or whatever they're wearing, and then you change. And then once you establish that for a while, then it's like, okay, well, I want you to, while you're still wearing your pull-ups, sit on the, the, the toilet and go potty. Um, and then you, you know, change their pull-ups. And then at some point, what you're going to do is then you're going to ask them to sit on the potty and try to go potty. So it works them up into what the process is. The other part of that is also timing and rhythm. Um, if we start setting boundaries around it, like we're going to get up and we're going to go potty and then we're going to go on with the next thing. So, and then we go potty here, we go potty here. Um, I had one friend, um, with a child who was struggling with this where, you know, it just needed to be a situation where they, he just needed to sit down for a while, get a magazine, get a book, and just get comfortable with the bathroom and get comfortable with the process. And he was being a big boy like his dad. And, and that, at the same time, every single day, that's when he would sit down and go potty. And it wasn't more than a couple weeks after that that the potty training finally began to stick. Um, so there are other things that you can do for sensory, sensory work and working on some of those primal reflexes will do that. And occupational therapy can do other things to help with the sensory integration on our bodies, um, which can also help build up tolerance for what it feels like to use the bathroom. So great question.
Our next question is, where is the best place to get information on math dyscalculia? Have you found a curriculum to address dyscalculia? And what games do you use to keep math fun for a struggling student? Now, I actually wanna go back and do an entire video um, on dyscalculia. Dyscalculia is not commonly understood um, as a learning disability, um, but it's quite profound when a child struggles with that. And often there are multiple learning struggles with a child with dyscalculia. For those of you who do not know what dyscalculia is, it is a number confusion, basically, um, where a child or an individual has trouble understanding math concepts, understanding the number line and how it works, um, and it can really affect you know, them being able to function as an adult. So, um, and, and we have a, a struggler with dyscalculia as well as dyscalculia, or excuse me, um, dyscalculia along with dyslexia and with dysgraphia. So this one's kind of near and dear to my heart. Um, the best resource that I have found is a website called dyscalculia.org. Um, it has a ton of wonderful resources and programs that you can use. Um, there are curriculums that you can pay for that they have on there, but they have fantastic articles about it um, and things that they are. They also list some games and apps that they can use. And I don't know the age of your child. Um, I have a child from the age five and right now she's 10. Um, so I can give you some references for that age range. Um, there is one for older kids and it's called Math Playground, I believe, and it deals with like algebraic kind of equations, um, which, is, which is a great uh, website. Um, the biggest, okay, so the, the two ways that we tackle dyscalculia are like this. One, we actually ignore the fact that there's dyscalculia and we work on building new neural networks in the brain. How do you do that? Well, there are tons of primal reflex work, oh, more primal reflex stuff, that work on doing so. So if your child, for example, cannot cross the midline, this is the midline of your body from left to right, that is an indication of a primal reflex problem. And things don't develop, such as vestibular systems and your proprioception doesn't develop. Um, and those actually can later on affect how your body learns concepts like these. So what we do is we work on those by exercises. So we do a lot of crossing the midline exercises. We also do a lot of what they call top down. So your brain is basically broken into four sections. There's a right and a left, and there's a top and a bottom. And all of them have to work for you to be able to understand mathematic concepts. So by doing exercises where for example, you put your right hand on your left knee and vice versa, or you put your arms above your head while you walk toe to toe. All of those things will build neural networks and you will see improvement in the learning struggles that your child has, as well as focus. So next thing that we do is we stopped presenting math outside of its context. So what I mean by that is that 
School has a natural tendency to like to segment every subject. Uh, the problem with that is that for kids like ours, it makes those concepts very abstract. Um, and it's harder for them to process and understand them. So what we do is we teach math or present math in context. So if we're learning about money, it's because we're at the store and we're doing money work where she might be adding up what we're spending on groceries, where I have her get the money out of her jar and she counts it, or she has to make change when she wants to buy something or so on and so forth. And we do that for a variety of subject, you know, concepts for math. Um, but that's how we like to do it. When you're baking, you're dealing in fractions. You know, one half plus one half is one cup. You know, and it makes it easier for them because first of all, a lot of times they need to physically do something with this information. There's a visual aspect because we actually have manipulatives is what we'll call them. Manipulatives where, you know, we have, we have measuring cups in our hand. We have coins in our hand. We have dollars in our hand. Um, you know, we, we're talking about basically a word problem of life. You know, if we're making, if we need to figure out how much food to feed five dogs and each dog gets, you know, one cup, how much do they get? Well, that's a word problem, but it's also math and it's visual and it's multiplication. So I would encourage you to try to put your math concepts back into context of like, even if you have to make up something for them that they can relate to, whether it's using their toys, you know, or um, it's using whatever situation, if they like to build in Minecraft, if they like to um, do karate, wh whatever the case may be, you can use that as a catalyst for the context. Um, the last thing you asked was, what games do you use to keep math fun? Well, we've actually found a couple of ones. Um, and I have written an entire article on seven games to help your child learn math. And I will put that link below as well. Um, and, but in that, I talk about Prodigy. It's a quest game um, that uh, has an evolution of concepts. So you start with whatever grade level you set for your child. And as they get progressively better, the concepts move forward with that grade and age skill set. Um, and you get little things. It's, so because it's a quest game, you get like little pets and you get prizes and you fight a little, you know, you're a wizard and you're kind of doing stuff. So it makes it kind of much more fun. ABCYA is another one that has a lot of, you know, it, not quest games, but just simpler games where you can set multiplication and division and so on and so forth um, for that. Um, we like to play other things like we play cards a lot. We do real world math, which is what I said in context. And there's like actually a game called real world math we play. Um, and, you know, other things you have to remember, too, is that video games, which gets a bad rap, there's a lot of math involved. You know, uh, if you have games where they have to figure out how to get out of a room, there's can be math built in there. Like, here's a combination you've got to figure out of things. Um, there's geometry. How, do that, how does that work? Minecraft has a lot of math in it. So look for math within games that they already like and help them see those concepts that they're already naturally doing. So that would be my suggestion to you.
Next question is, is there a website that suggests OT and PT activities for kids? And the answer is, of course there is. Um, the two that I like the best and that I have used on a regular basis throughout Samantha's development um, are the OT Toolbox. They have a wonderful Facebook page with activities. Um, and it's what's great about this one is that it's addressed for from OTs helping parents, not OTs talking to other OTs and PTs. So that's a very good one. The other one, which I've already touched on, um, is integrated learning strategies. They look at occupational therapy from a primal reflex and a overall integrated body systems approach. So if, you're, if your child is struggling with um, proprioception, then they will give you exercises and activities that you can do with your child that will help with proprioception and so on and so forth. So I would say that to check out those two uh, websites and Facebook pages, they're very active and they have, they have great resources. The last question we're going to tackle today is how do you meet friends and other mommies who can understand and offer support and bounce ideas off of and friends for your children? This is such a weighted topic and I've actually written several posts on this particular topic um, and I will again link those um, below so that you can check them out. One of them is nine ways to help your child build friendships that I just did. Uh, about a month ago um, and it's got some great ideas. The long and the short of it is this. You have to go and become more active and engaged and the older your child gets the harder it is for them to make relationships because they take a lot more time and energy. Um, when your kids were little you could go to the park they could be like, oh, let's play, and then they were friends. Um, but as they get older, that doesn't work. So if you wanna find other moms and other kids that are like your child, it's gonna take a little bit more legwork on your part. Look for programs that specifically deal with special needs kids. I am so excited because there are a lot more of them popping up all the time. You can look for an organization called NAME, it's N-A-M-I, that's the acronym for it. Um, and it's the, I believe it's called the National Alliance for Mental Illness. But they actually have a variety of programs um, that you'll meet other parents just like your child. The other thing to look for are groups and uh, social groups and educational groups through therapy if you can afford it. Um, for your child. Samantha used to do a girls group through therapy that worked on social skills and um, frustration tolerance, transition management. And what was great is it was girls just like her and she made friendships there. And I made friends with the moms. Like I would, I loved going there and spending an hour while they were there because we would jawbone and talk and everybody got it. And then we made relationships outside of that therapy. Um, the next place is the activities that deal with special needs kids 
are things like, um, like we have found special needs archery, which is really cool. My daughter does therapy riding. Um, and depending on where you are and the needs of your child, there are some therapy riding that will be covered. Unfortunately, the type that she needs is not, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but then she's again with other people just like her who understand her needs. Um, I meet other parents that are there while, while she's riding. So that's great. Um, but there are a lot, there are dance clubs now. Um, and the last one, if, if you have the energy to do it, and I, I say that with if, but it's to create something. I've gone out, because we've recently moved, and I just start asking people, hey, you know, does anyone have a special needs child in this age range that's looking for friends? You know, because they're all in the same boat, you know, and that's a parent in the same boat I am. And you know what? We've started to find parents like that to get our kids together, you know, and to do things. So it's not easy and it takes time. Um, and unfortunately, it's hard when your child is heartbroken and crying in front of you, telling you that they are lonely. Um, but just stay at it. I promise you, it, it, you can find them, but you're going to have to dig and you're going to find a lot of empty closed doors and you're going to have to go look for another door and knock a door. And in the last case, you start creating something. Um, I'm, I'm working towards creating something in my local area called the Special Friend Club. And th this is basically all it is. It is a place and a time where kids with special needs can come together and parents with special needs can come together and just hang out and learn to be friends because we all get it. So I hope that helps. And I'll remember, I'll post those other links to the other uh, blog posts and videos I've done on this topic. Well, there, there you guys have it. Your questions answered. And if you have any suggestions for any of the topics and questions we've covered today, I would love it if you'd post them in the comments below. If you liked this video, a thumbs up would be awesome and make sure you subscribe to the channel. If you'd like more, check out www.makingsenseofmunchkin.com. And until next time, I'm Christy Richardson. Keep on thriving.